Tonight's reading comes just after last week's reading, which was when uh, Mary had found out that she's going to become pregnant. And uh, you'll find it on page 831 of the Pew Bibles in front of you, of course, on the screen behind me or on your mobile device. So Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thank you. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, passage of scripture. And uh, let me pray that God would help us to understand it. Lord God, we do come to you because you are our Lord, you are our teacher. And we ask for the ministry of your spirit to impress these words upon our hearts, that we too would rejoice and magnify our Lord and Saviour. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here we are, two weeks out from Christmas. And I ask you the question. Is there joy in your soul this Christmas? Um, what do you like? Is there this inner deep joy because, not because of what is happening in the world, but because of your relationship with Jesus? Is he so special, so unique to you, that as you live each day, there's this joy inside of you that comes from knowing Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Because... Christmas is about God stepping into human history in his son to be our saviour. So the closer you get to Christmas, the closer, and we talk about being at Advent, approaching Christmas, it's a story of life, it's a story of mercy, it's a story of salvation, it's a story of eternity, it's a story of transformation, and therefore as you approach that time in between all the other shopping and everything else, and raising kids and some of you with the little ones and sleepless nights, is there this joy in your heart? Or maybe you are struggling, because the reality of living in a world like this is that we can be flat and discouraged. We may lack hope, vision, purpose, and energy. And you may say at this time of year, I don't have much joy. I'm just trying to get through until holidays. You may have financial struggles. Maybe your family doesn't get on and you hate Christmas. People may not be loving towards you. Life is tough. Christ comes to bring us joy despite all these other things. I was reading a book uh, by Ross Clifford called The International Gods of Sport, and uh, one of the persons he speaks about there is Wes Hall, 
a famous West Indian cricketer. And you, you guys are young over here, so you weren't alive then. But, but about 20 years ago, he spoke at this, in this church. And he and Brian Booth, Brian Booth is a member of our church, who's a former Australian cricket captain, and also represented Australia at the Olympics in 1956 in hockey. He lives just around the corner from here. So we organised these two guys to speak about their faith in Jesus and the joy that Christ brings. And they, I mean, Wes Hall just spoke about the joy, because in Christ, coming to know Christ a little bit later in his life, it changed everything. And in this book by Ross Clifford, he says, Wes Hall has lived most of his life without a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He stands at the top of the sporting, business and political worlds. Few before him or after him have scaled such heights. Yet finally, these successes are not what Wes wants to leave us with. He says, I cannot tell you the difference God has made in my life. All I've achieved is nothing compared to knowing and serving Jesus. I can't recognize myself now. I'm so changed by Christ. I've done a lot for my self-esteem and being accountable. I sometimes pinch myself to see if it's still me. God has transformed him. He has this inner joy that magnifies the Lord. And I must say, we see some of this joy at the World Cup. We've got to talk about the World Cup, right? The Ecuador team, before being knocked out, praising Jesus after a game. And you're not allowed to praise Jesus, but there they were, praising Jesus, because they wanted to say beyond a victory, there's a relationship with Jesus which is more significant. And this morning, there was this French striker, Olivier Giroud. He scored the winning goal against England to knock England out of the World Cup. He scored two goals against Australia a little while ago. But he is a Bible-believing Christian evangelical Christian. I remember uh, a few years ago in a magazine, uh, he was able to write an article that says, I feel I have to use my media profile to talk about my commitment to Jesus Christ, his primary. He was also the face of Open Doors, the mission organization that supports the persecuted church. Christian charity appeared on an online event to help raise awareness of Christian persecution. Be aware there aren't that many evangelical Christians in France. And here he is standing up for Jesus amongst his other players. He has the joy of knowing Christ, and I guess there's a bit of joy knocking England out. <laughs> and I see some Brazilian friends here. There was a lot of joy before, but then we lose, and there's not that much joy. Sport comes and goes, doesn't it? You're up, then you're down. Australians, even though we lost, we're still happy, because <laughs> we got that far, right? <laughs> we're still praising God for what we had. But amidst all the successes of life, we need to find our ultimate joy and satisfaction in Jesus and seek to promote his name. Friends, when you get to Mary's song that was just read to us, there's this inner exhilaration and joy that Mary has because of what God is about to do. Let's set the scene. Remember the uh, angel Gabriel told the young virgin Mary that she was going to have a child who would be the son of God? and reign over the house of Jacob forever. And she said, how can this be? God answered, and Matt spoke about this last week, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, so the child's conception would be divine. It's a miracle of God that she would have a baby. Then uh, she was given the added confirmation that nothing is impossible with God by telling her that her relative Elizabeth, who was old and barren, was also pregnant. 
So that brings us to Luke chapter 1, verse 39. That time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, listen to the language here. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, not Elizabeth responded, but the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Everyone's rejoicing, right? Mary's rejoicing, the baby's rejoicing. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. The angel told Zechariah in Luke 1.15 that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Okay, listen to what the Bible's telling you here in Luke chapter 1, even from his mother's womb. The Spirit of God would exercise the control on this man from the time in his mother's womb until he completes his ministry as a grown man. So the story is Mary approaches carrying the Son of God in her womb and little John gives Elizabeth a good kick in a diaphragm. We might say, yeah, yeah, come on, that's what babies do all the time. No, no, that's not the point of the story here. It's not just what babies do all the time. It's trying to make a point here saying, Mary, my child, is leaping for joy that in some miraculous way God is working even in the womb and this child recognises Jesus. And this is all the confirmation Mary needs. And then she asks, uh, and the question is, as she realises that God is going to do this marvellous thing, I want you to ask this question, where is God in all of this miracle, great miracles happening? Elizabeth, Mary. God is occupying himself with two obscure, humble women. God values men and women. And God takes two obscure, non-famous. They don't have any platform. They are not influencers. They don't have 15,000 followers on Instagram. God finds two women who love him and trust him and chooses to use him for his glory. Whoever you are, when you open up yourself to God, God can take you and use you. And then she writes a song called The Magnificat. That's just simply Latin for glorifies. It says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and that's why they call it The Magnificat. And Mary and Elizabeth are wonderful heroines in Luke's account. They believe, they trust, they submit. The thing that impresses Luke most, it appears, the things he wants to impress on us is their lowliness and cheerful humility. Elizabeth says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Notice that humility. It's not like an arrogance, oh, I'm glad you finally came. There's none of that here. You know, you should have come to me, you would have heard about me. No, none of that. Why? Is it granted? That's of grace. See, the word granted is the whole idea of grace. Why would you show favour to me? The Lord, mother of the Lord would come to me. And Mary says, the Lord has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Friends, the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary, people who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the grace and the magnificent God they serve. Isn't that true? If you think you are good enough for God and you're going to get into heaven because you're talented, you're gifted, you're bright, you're articulate, you're good-looking, you don't rejoice in your heart. You're almost like, God owes me. <laughs> God's lucky to have me on his side. But the person who says, man, I have nothing. Nothing 
in my hands I bring. It's all Jesus. It's all the death of Christ. It's all the resurrection. It's all God. It's all his favor, not my goodness. Brings you to the point of thanksgiving and rejoicing. The other thing about uh, Mary, you'll notice, she seems to have a good grasp of the Bible. Now, Mary's probably only 14 or 15, 16 years of age, we believe. She was engaged as a, as a young girl. But see, in this uh, Magnificat, in this little poem she writes, she expresses deep understanding of the Bible. So clearly, she, her family have read the Bible. She has memorized some of it and is very aware of the Bible. And if you want to be like Mary... You know, get into the Word, memorize it, read it, and, uh, dwell upon it, meditate upon it. Because you see, as she writes, she picks up themes and allusions from uh, Hannah and the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, you see Hannah couldn't have children. And then God blessed her. And she had a child. And um, she sings a song of praise, which is similar to Mary's song. And I don't think Mary's just copying it completely, but she has those similar themes in it. There's Mary, young, humble, 14 or 15-year-old, who may not be an influencer on Instagram and have thousands of followers, but she knows the Word of God. She's deep in God. And when God does this miracle in her life, she rejoices in Him. Do you want to join your soul this Christmas? Steep your heart and mind in the Word of God. Let it transform how you think, how you speak, and what really matters to you. See, what does Mary do in this poem? Firstly, Mary's expression of what she feels in her heart, verses 46 and 47, namely joy. Secondly, she mentions that God, what God has done specifically for her as an individual, 48 and 49. Despite her lowliness, God has done a wonderful or brought a wonderful blessing. And thirdly, she spends most of the time describing the way God is in general, how God works in generally in the wider community. So number one. Does your soul glorify the Lord? Verse 46 and 47. Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. How does a soul glorify or magnify God? A mouth, and we've done it tonight, a mouth magnifies God by saying God is magnificent, singing praises to him. How great is our God, right? Agnes Day or whatever words we're saying. Do we ever sing the words Agnes Day in the song? No. That's... But, you know, God rules. We speak with our, with our mouth, but I don't think he's meaning that. I don't think he's she's verbalizing a silent prayer here. It seems to be that my soul glorifies. In other words, she's saying my inner being senses the greatness and the holiness and mercy of God, and in my inner being, that's just joy. You ever felt that? Now, I don't feel that all the time, by the way. And, uh, but time, from time to time, you just you sense the presence of God and the work of God, and you just go, you don't even have to say anything. There's just this bursting joy in your soul. That's what Mary's like. She senses the greatness of God, and she rejoices. But notice what she rejoices in God, her Savior. This is important. She rejoices in God, her Savior. Mary is a sinner like us, who needs a saviour. Now, some churches won't say that to you. Some churches will teach something a little bit different to that, that she's perfect, she's not a sinner. But you'll find out she rejoices in God, her saviour, because why would she rejoice in God, her saviour, if she didn't need saving? She too is like us, needs someone to die on a cross to deal with her sins. What's the right response this Christmas? 
Well, friends, at Christmas, God breaks into human history that he might save his people from their sins. Are you praising him? Are you obeying him? Is your soul magnifying the Lord? At the cross, Jesus dies in our place for our rebellion. Do you praise him and obey him? Does your soul magnify the Lord? Through the resurrection, Jesus declares his victory over sin, death, and Satan. Do you praise him and obey him? Does your soul magnify the Lord? Is there this exhilarating joy? You know one of the ways you know you have this exhilarating joy? You can't keep it in. In my family, they complain that I talk too much. Get used to it. (laughs) Some people are quieter, introverts are quieter, and I just keep walking in and talking loudly. Calm down, Ange, they say. No, but I'm filled with joy. I just want to talk. And, And they shut me down. It's okay. They love me. But when you enjoy a good holiday, you want to tell people, right? I've got a photograph of where Chloe's on some island in Vanuatu. I'd be tempted to show it to you if I was fast enough to put it up on the screen. When my daughter got married, I showed photos to everyone. When Sydney FC has another win, I normally post it on Facebook. Right? We had a win last night. I didn't post it. See, I'm very controlled. When we had a granddaughter, well, no, I never show anyone those photographs, do I? When there's joy in your soul, it overflows. And I love an example. There was this book called uh, Becoming a, or Building a Contagious Church. It's a story about uh, Mark Middleberg, who wrote this book, training us on how to be better evangelists and and let the joy in Christ overflow in our witness and in our lives. And uh, and there's this uh, scholar called Dr. William Lane Craig. And Dr. William Lane Craig was a friend of Mark Middleberg, he moved to a new city. Mark didn't have his telephone number and um, he found a, a Bill Craig. So he rang this guy. The f- conversation went like this. Uh, he rang this number. The guy says, hello, hello, I'm calling for Bill Craig, Mark Middleberg says. He said, this is Bill Craig, the man assured me. Well, it doesn't sound like Bill Craig to me, he said. I'm looking for the real Bill Craig. Well, this Bill Craig, uh, uh, which Bill Craig did you have in mind? Well, I'm looking for William L. Craig, he said. This is, you know, a telephone call, right? Well, this isn't William L. Craig, the guy says. This is William Z. Craig. He said with enthusiasm, engaging in a conversation. Normally, I would have acknowledged that I had a wrong number and left the poor guy alone. But not this day. I was walking close to Christ and feeling the joy and exuberance that go along with that. So I took a redemptive risk and let the more adventurous side of my personality come out. And he said to the guy, that sure is unfortunate, he said to him. He said, why is that, mate? He said, because you're just one initial away from being a world-famous speaker and defender of the Christian faith. I quipped lightheartedly. Well, you certainly do have the wrong, Bill Craig, the man said. No one's ever mistaken me for a religious person. Why not, I asked him. Don't you believe in God? Well, yes, in my own way, I guess, he said. And off our discussion ran with his stranger for a number of minutes. I was surprised by this conversation as the stranger a thousand miles away was. We talked for a few minutes about spiritual matters and I challenged him to read some of the books and materials written by his namesake, the other more famous Bill Craig. Before we got off the phone, he even gave me his address. So I wrote him a letter and mailed him a tape of the debate that 
uh, Bill Craig had had against an atheist and some other Christian materials. All this emanated from my dialing a wrong phone number. Now, this is the kind of evangelistic adventure that flows out of walking close to Christ and staying open to the split-second opportunities he brings our way. If I had not had a Holy Spirit boldness and a heartfelt concern for lost people that day, the conversation never would have taken place. Unfortunately, I can also illustrate the flip side of the equation out of my personal life. When I'm spiritually disconnected and preoccupied with my own concerns and desires, even much more overt opportunities just seem to pass, pass me by, he says. I remember John Piper's words, he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Is it joy in your heart? Are you magnifying the Lord? Is, are you satisfied in Christ? It overflows into worship and witness. But secondly, do you give God the glory in all things? 48 and 49. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. See, God recognizes Mary's lowliness and humility and does a great thing for her. He makes her the mother of God the Son. It's unimaginable blessing that she's going to take part in. She's also learned, though, from the uh, Song of Hannah in the Old Testament that God brings down the proud, but God blesses the lowly who look to him for mercy. Very clear idea in the Old Testament, she picks that up. God blesses the lowly, but brings down the proud and the arrogance. And she is a great example, a humble servant of God. For us today, the Holy One has done great things for us through the cross and resurrection. We've been justified, forgiven, reconciled, accepted. We're secure. We have significance. So I say this Christmas, will you give God the glory for your salvation? Will you take time aside from shopping and eating and everything else we do? And thank God for your possessions, your family, your health, your holidays, your children's achievements, your promotion, your income, and your home. Will you thank God for them because you didn't earn them. God graced you with them. And in your ministry, will you humbly give glory to God for your successes, his gifting, his enabling, his power, his fruitfulness? Will you acknowledge the sovereign God give him all the glory? And finally, thirdly, do you humbly trust in God and him alone? You see, it says, holy is his name. Holy is his name. What happens? Mary makes a general statement that God's name is holy, that his nature is holiness. That means it's a separateness. It's different to us. It's perfection. And then she says that God's perfection, God's holiness, expresses itself in a unique way that I've already just made reference to. He exalts the humble and abases or brings down the proud. And the rest of the, her poem, she really picks up on this. So firstly, 50, 52 and 53, she mentions how God undertakes for the underdog who calls for his mercy. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Go to the next one, thank you. He has lifted up the humble. He fills the hungry with good things. And Mary just realizes that she's a nobody, but not only has God blessed her as a nobody, but God regularly blesses the nobodies because the nobodies are somebody in God's eyes. Those who fear him, those who are humble, those who are hungry with good things. 
Now, on the other hand, because God is holy and just and righteous, he brings down those who lift themselves up. He has scattered, verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty. What is it about those who rule or those who are wealthy or those who are proud? Friends, the problem in our society today is if you have all those things, you don't think you need God. You have money to pay for your home, uh, go on your holidays, buy your boats, travel overseas. You don't need God. And it's often a great temptation when you have a lot of things to place yourself in the position of God rather than humbling yourself before a holy God. And I think there's a warning here for all of us. John Piper puts it this way, the great and holy God magnifies his greatness by blessing the lowly who admire his greatness, by abasing the proud who resent his greatness. So how am I tempted in 2022? And how are you, are you possibly tempted in 2022 to put some other God in the place of the true God? The first area is pride. Let me ask you this question. Do you enjoy being God in your life? To do what you want? Or do you allow God to be God in your life? You know, I think about driving a car, right? And uh, I always drive the car when I'm driving with my wife. Almost always. She's happy to read a book and I'm, she's happy to let me drive. But I like driving. But I think spiritual life's a bit uh, like driving a car. We like to be in control. We don't like to let someone else take control. And somewhere we need to say, God, you take control of my life. You drive the car of my life. You leave me where you want me to go. You want me to serve overseas? God, take me there. You want me to go to Bible college? You, God, you take me there. You want me to serve in a ministry? God, you take me there. God, you want me to, to pray for someone uh, who's sick? God, leave me. In other words, God, take control of my life. I will not run my life. I'll do what you say. I spoke to a man a little while ago about Jesus. And he said, no, I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want anyone telling me how to live. Friends, that's pride. That thing's that makes you think you're as good as God. Secondly, power. Power comes with money, position, and fame. You think you can do anything and get away with it. Wealth. The love of money is the problem, not money. God can use your money in, in beautiful ways for his kingdom. But materialism is extremely seductive. Like the person who said to us once, he said, you know, many people give thousands of dollars to the ministry of the church, but I don't like to give anything because I'm stingy with my money. He's being blessed by the ministry, but didn't want to contribute. His wealth had a hold on him. Career, for many people, occupation becomes preoccupation. They give their life to achievement and continual promotion, and God takes second place. Or sport, I don't need to say much about sport, I've already made reference in the beginning, right? For some people, sport is their God. Nations across the world, sport is their God. They worship they're sports people. Celebrity, the obsession that some people have with celebrity. Influences. Imagine if I, I was an influencer and I had 30,000 people following every word I had to say, every photograph I posted. Now, that'd be crazy people to do that following me, right? But it can have a seductive power over people, can't it? Beauty infatuation with beauty, makeup, clothes, plastic surgery, nip and tuck everywhere, fake tans. We're not satisfied with who we are in God and we just, this is our society today. We can fix up anything. Family. I think this is the noblest form of atheism. 
where the worship of God is replaced by the worship of family. A woman saying to me once, she said, I can't give my life to Jesus. If I give my life to Jesus, I have to put God first above my, my two daughters. I cannot love anyone more than my two daughters has never followed Christ. Who's your God? Your child, your grandchild, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend? I think the challenge at this Christmas is to remember to be like Mary, to realize all is a gift of God, to humbly receive all that God has given us and pour all glory and all honor back to him. So what does your spirit rejoice in? Pride, power, wealth, career, sport, beauty or family? Or can you say like Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior? May God help us to be like Mary and bring glory to God. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the example of Mary, her gentle humility, her trust in you, in this extraordinary commitment that you made to her, that she would bear the Son of God. Lord, it's hard to imagine for us what it's like as a 15-year-old girl to have that message from an angel. And yet she knew you, she knew your word, she trusted you, and she followed through. And we tell her story thousands of years later. Lord, may our soul glorify the Lord and may our spirit rejoice in God our Saviour this Christmas and in the days ahead, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.